All right. Good morning. I, um, I always have a bad attitude about the microphones, but can people, um, it's just hard to get in just the right spot. So raise your hand if you cannot hear. Okay, I think we are, we're doing well. So um, thank you, Grace Ann, for praying for us. Again, my name is Eden Flora, and I'm a member here at Christ Press. Um, my husband, Gray, is an elder here, and we have two little boys. Actually, today is Gray's birthday, so that's fun. Um, so anyway, I'm very excited to get to teach Habakkuk this morning. I am a person, I didn't grow up in the church, I do not know all of the Bible stories, and so I had never read Habakkuk before. And so if you are in a, a similar place, and maybe you don't even know how to pronounce it, um, you're in a good spot because the teacher didn't read it until, you know, the past couple months either. So um, while I'm very pro raising children in the church, God is really gracious to use the fact that I didn't um, to often give me fresh eyes when I'm studying things and I'm grateful for that. Um, so before I even get going, I want to tell you all about this book, Habakkuk, The Expectant Prophet, which is such a wonderful way to describe Habakkuk um, by John Currid. This book is excellent, and anything smart that I say is because he taught me that in this book. But if you're wanting to learn more about Habakkuk, this is an excellent resource um, that really dives deep into every single verse. Um, and because of time, I don't get to dive deep in every single verse. And so this is an excellent resource. Um, and like I said, I use heavily from his teaching today. So Habakkuk, the expectant prophet. Um, so yeah, this is a powerful little bitty book um, that is directly following the book of Nahum that we've been, we've been reading about. Um, so it is a, a lesser known book, which is unfortunate because it is so extraordinary. Um, and this book is really special. It is such a gift. Habakkuk is a prophet, but instead of this book speaking truth directly to the people, this book is a conversation between God and Habakkuk, and we are privy to that conversation. So it still speaks truth to people, um, but it does it indirectly. So this book um, is a record of Habakkuk's own struggles with faith. So it's kind of like Habakkuk saying, you know, let me do this and you learn by watching. So there is so much intimacy here in this book as we watch this conversation between Habakkuk and God. So, you know, conversations are where we really get to know people. So sure, we can, you know, learn some things about people as we peruse social media or maybe in a board meeting with someone. Um, you know, you can see somebody's personality, you can glean some information about them in those ways. But how much more do you learn um, learn about somebody when you're sitting with them in their living room or on a long coffee date or you're cozy and you're, you're um, you know, around your dining table conversing and discussing and questioning and learning and emoting? Um, and intimate conversations is how we get to know people. And in fact, a common get to know you question that we've you know, all heard before is, if you could have any five people to dinner and invite anybody dead or alive to a dinner party, who would you invite? Um, and people's answers of who they wanna spend time with, we can learn a lot about them. So that's what we're getting here in Habakkuk, an intimate conversation. Just a wide, a wide turning radius here. Okay. Um, so it is thought that Habakkuk wrote this book around 605 BC. 
So that's when the southern kingdom of Judah was being threatened by a rising power of the Babylonians, also known as the Chaldeans. So those words are going to be used um, depending on your uh, translation in your Bible. It may say one or the other. Those are the same people. So this puts Habakkuk about 150 years after Jonah. So the situation in Judah at this time was not great. Um, there's widespread injustice and violence, and there's strife amongst God's people. And King Joachim was not seeking to obey the Lord. Um, and under his leadership, the people were wayward, um, but they were still expecting God to bless them. So like, we're not gonna obey you, we're gonna do what we want, but we still expect you to give us all the gifts. So this is what Habakkuk is crying out about. He's, he's talking about God's own people stirring violence, and he can't see that God is doing anything about it. So that is what he's crying out to God, saying, hear me, hear me. So from Habakkuk's view, it looks like everything is exploding and God is remaining silent. So let's get to the good stuff. I want you to open your book, or excuse me, your Bible up to Habakkuk 1. So this is at the end of the Old Testament, and there's just a few small books between it and Matthew. If that, maybe you're a, maybe you are a Bible drill kind of gal and you can find it real quick, but I'm not. So that is a descriptor. You can go ahead and turn to that. And we're going to have two points once we get into this first part of, of chapter one. And they're very straightforward. One is Habakkuk's question, and the second is God's answer. So um, I'm going to read for us verses one through four. Still hear some pages turning, so I'll give you just a few more minutes, seconds. I mean, okay. So Habakkuk 1 through 4. The oracle, and some versions may say burden, that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Okay, so our first point, Habakkuk's question. So as we look at this scripture, these first couple of verses, we immediately see some unusual phrasing as we start. So we see the burden or the oracle that Habakkuk saw. So the word oracle derives from a verb that means to lift up. So specifically lifting up the prophet's voice. So it is also related to a noun that means burden or load. So Habakkuk's vision is his burden that he must unload on the people. So his vision leads to proclamation. The purpose of a prophet is to declare God's word. So the book of Habakkuk um, is God's truth that he must proclaim. That's what we're receiving in these three chapters here. God's truth that he must proclaim. So we see Habakkuk cry out to the Lord in all caps in verse 2. So this happened in Nahum as well. And so Habakkuk is calling out to Yahweh here. That's the name of God that he's using, which is the covenant name for God. So the God who keeps his promises. Habakkuk knows this of God and is calling upon that. So with Habakkuk using that word, we see that Habakkuk is a follower of God. He knows God intimately. He's saying, you are the keeper of the covenant, and I am calling upon you. 
Um, so he is questioning, Habakkuk is questioning the God of the covenant. He knows the name that he's using. He's saying, this is who you say you are, and I'm not seeing that. So um, I, I read about, in this book actually, Pope Benedict XVI, um, after World War II, um, he visited the concentration camp Auschwitz. So that's one of the horrific concentration camps um, where thousands and thousands of people were killed. And at his visit, he said this. He said, in a place like this, words fail. In the end, there can only be a dread silence, which itself is a heartfelt cry to God. Why, Lord, did you remain silent? How could you tolerate this? And you know, visiting a concentration camp, like what else there is, is there to say? You know, that's so, um, that feels painful and it feels kind of scary to read someone calling out the Lord in that way, but that, that's called for when you're in such a dark and scary place. So, you know, I think if we're honest, we can maybe name that we have all asked similar questions or maybe we haven't been bold enough to ask similar questions and we've maybe buried it down, but a question like that has been within us. We have all said, oh Lord, how long shall I cry? like we see in verse two. So that's not to say that we've experienced anything like a concentration camp, and that's not to compare our life stories to others or to the world, um, but it's to say that we live in a broken world. You know, evilness and sin surround us, and I don't need to explain that. We all readily know that. Um, oftentimes within the very church, that's to be a solace for us. We all know of instances where the church have hurt others or us. So. God does not promise believers a life of comfort. We will endure great suffering in our walk with him or have endured or are enduring great suffering. And we have reason to cry out too, just like Habakkuk is. Um, the Bible tells us that God is a God of justice. And there are times when we feel the need to question that. Um, Habakkuk is laying it all out here. Um, he's saying, why are you causing me to see this iniquity, to see this pain, if you aren't going to do anything about it? Um, are you going to do anything about it? He's raising those questions before the Lord. So Habakkuk, Habakkuk is saying, show yourself here. Lead me in your will, because I'm not tracking with you right now. So in the study of theology, there is a name for questions of faith like these called, like these called theodicy. So theodicy is the attempt to understand the nature and actions of God in the face of evil and suffering. So it deals with the seemingly inactivity of God. So Habakkuk is questioning um, what he sees as God's lack of response um, by God to the violence and injustice among his people. So he's saying, how can God idly sit by? Is he working or not? Uh, you know, we see David in the Psalms over and over again with many similar cries. In Psalm 13, David says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? So Habakkuk is pointedly accusing God of not listening to his cry. How can God stand still when um, his people are being disobedient? So pausing here, it's important to ask, like, does Habakkuk have the right to talk to God? like this, to question God. And like, actually, do we have the right to question God like this? So we have to be very careful here. It's a very nuanced answer um, because we may question, but we're called to not sin. 
So we may be concerned for God's justice, but we're called to not sin. Psalm 4 says, be angry, but do not sin. And the only way we're going to really navigate that is if we're doing that with the Lord. Um, so Habakkuk seems to uh, be one of faith, this, this cry that he's calling out. He's trying to understand the character and work of God. So he's not writing God off here. Um, you know, while we can't hear the tone of Habakkuk's voice um, as we read what he wrote, and even if we could, he would not be speaking English. Um, but because Habakkuk is calling upon Yahweh, the promise keeper, we know that Habakkuk is not just being this sassy, like, you better do what you said you were going to do. He's really asking, he's calling out to the Lord he knows and saying, show yourself to me. So it's a heartfelt cry. And that's important to, to kind of note um, because we have to remember who we're speaking to. Um, so Habakkuk is saying, help me see you. He's trying to discern God's ways here. And God's ways are not our ways. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So Habakkuk is saying, meet me here. In verse 3, we see Habakkuk is finding the situation in Judah among God's own people appalling. Um, so the point is the wicked in Judah are punishing the faithful in Judah. And God's people are being you know, punished by the disobedient. So that is why um, Habakkuk is just so, uh, so worked up. He's really crying out. So Habakkuk is saying, how could God allow suffering in the covenant community by covenant community members? How can God allow evil and corruption within the church? Habakkuk is saying there is destruction and violence because of it, and he can't help but cry out about it. So about 10 years ago, um, I was on vacation in Taos, New Mexico. I'm a huge New Mexico fan. I can really speak about its wonders, but that's not what this example is for. But um, I remember so vividly, I was standing outside a restaurant with a group of friends, um, and I saw a man and woman fighting. I can still remember what they looked like. They were standing by a motorcycle. Um, and suddenly, I witnessed this man violently hit the woman that he was with. Um, and I immediately cried out, uh, not because I'm a hero who's super brave, but that was the only response within me as I saw this man really hurt this woman. Um, there was no other way to respond to that than to cry out for justice and to point people to see what was happening. Um, you know, I, I couldn't remain silent. And Habakkuk is crying out because the people are being so just, uh, so, excuse me, so unjust. There is no other response than to cry out and say, look, look, this is not what God is calling us to. Um, he cannot remain silent over what's happening. So in verse 4, Habakkuk says, Because of this injustice, the law is paralyzed. Because of the sin in Judah, the law doesn't have any power. No one cares. No one is convicted. So this term paralyzed that Habakkuk is using, seen here, is also used in Genesis 45, 26. And this is where the sons of Jacob tell their father that Joseph, who they had lied and said, you know, was kidnapped and killed, um, they are confessing and saying, actually, Dad, Joseph is still alive and he's in Egypt. 
And so Jacob's response to that, it says his heart became paralyzed because he didn't believe them. He didn't believe what they were saying. Jacob's heart just simply became cold. And that's what's happening um, to the law of God in Judah. Um, It's grown cold. It's grown numb. It's having little impact on the people there. You know, and doesn't this remind us um, of the way our culture views the law of God today? Um, The second line of this verse says, And justice never goes forth. It's directly tied to this. When the law of God is paralyzed, the justice of God is not being applied. It is in God's word that true justice is found. So without the word of God, without the law, society and even the church make up their own measures of justice, whether that's based on feelings or tolerance or diversity or majority, etc. So Habakkuk concludes in verse 4 that true justice isn't being practiced. It's crooked. And, you know, we can pause here and think, have I ever felt similarly? Have I looked around and said, this is not just justice is not coming forth have you ever cried out over the direction of the world the church your church your life have you ever wondered is god really working does he care Um, you know living solely by sight would dim our view of the fact that god is sovereign and that he rules over all we cannot live solely by sight by the way things appear We have all heard the question, I feel like this is a question that's often used against God and thrown around, um, if God is good, how can he allow evil? And this question and questions like Habakkuk um, bring to the forefront the character of God, in particular his sovereignty. And just as a reminder, God's sovereignty is his lordship, his right to rule and be king. So God's sovereignty asserts that there are no limits on his authority to act. He is creator of all, he is king of all. So the most right and logical place for God to inhabit is a throne. He is Lord. But, you know, we say that, but the the world is filled with evilness. The church itself, as we're saying, can be filled with hurt and sin. And justice permeates it. The The church can very much hurt its people. So what do we do with that? What do we do with what's that? seems like such a contradiction we you know we often cry out to the apparent inactivity of God in our own lives and relationships and situations you know we say things like how could you let them do that why don't you save my family member why don't you heal my family member why do you let me suffer why do you let them suffer why is the church simple why isn't he working doing what I think he should be doing So I have loved, loved studying the book of Habakkuk because the Lord has used it very deeply to touch my heart as I have been studying this book. Um, And in fact, I painted a whole series of artwork about chapter one of Habakkuk because I was so moved by it. Um, It's been so important to me. So I want to um, tell you a little bit about how God has been speaking to me about the book of Habakkuk. And so a little bit about my story. So um, I had a very privileged childhood with a lot of opportunities. My mother, Nancy, anybody named Nancy, I automatically love you (laughs) because my mom was so wonderful. And I'm like, I'm like, her name is Nancy? Then I need to know, get get to know her. Um, My mom was so wonderful um, and she loved me um, the best that she knew how. 
And she taught me and gave me so much. She taught me that I was treasured and she taught me to teach others that they're treasured too. Um, and I feel like that's very in vogue now to be like so inclusive, but it was like before that was a thing. She was like that. Um, you know, she impacted my life in so many wonderful ways. Um, but my mother also struggled with mental illness and severely so. She would have months and months where she would be in the bed and couldn't get out of the bed. She would have months and months where she was in the hospital, like my whole third grade year, she was in the hospital. Um, and that was very, very difficult. And it called me at a very young age to become an adult and not remain a child. And I'm sure many people can relate to that. That's a hard place to be. Um, and my, mo my mother struggled throughout my childhood and sadly took her own life when I was in college. And it was horrible. And it still is horrible. And obviously it makes me teary because it should. Um, and you know, it's still horrible, but I'm just more used to the fact that it happened nearly 20 years ago. And it felt like I was in a basement and somebody just came in and flicked off the lights. And I was just in the dark. And God has been very faithful over time to bring more and more light in and to make windows and just to pour himself into that seemingly very dark room that I found myself when my reality suddenly just shifted. So the Lord has graciously used these circumstances to reveal himself to me in so many ways. He has graciously used my story to connect me to hurting people and to make me not afraid of hurting people. Um, he has called me to himself through my story and he has placed a very deep faith um, through this awful hurt into my life that is still playing out and growing and I'm so thankful for. Um, and yet, as I read this passage of scripture, as I studied it, it led me to cry out why, just like Habakkuk. Um, you know, I, I found myself saying like, why did this, why did my story have to happen this way? Why did my wonderful, delightful mother, your child, have to struggle? Why? And it feels a little scary when you start questioning God and saying, why? Um, and as I, you know, have concerns for my family members or my friends, important relationships, and long to trust that God's going to take care of them, I can find myself saying, but Lord, you didn't take care of my mom. Why should I trust you here? Um, but you know what? God hears our prayers, and he speaks to us in his word. So God did not care for my mother in the way that I expected or I wanted him to. Um, I wanted her to be healed. I wanted her to be freed. I want her family to be freed and not fractured by this. But the Lord worked in my, in my mother in ways that I didn't understand. My mom loved the Lord in her very own quirky, individual way. Um, but he worked in her heart despite the destruction. He was working, and I could not see. I could not see how he was working in her life, but he was. So this doesn't mean that I can't cry out in pain, that I can't you know, ache over what happened, that I can't get a shaky voice as I talk about it. But I can know that God is working and is near. So God answers in verses 5 through 11. Um, the way he answers is going to help us see that. You don't have to just take my word for it. We can take God's word. Um, so in Habakkuk chapter 1, Habakkuk is specifically, as I've explained, crying out about the injustice in the church. Um, and telling my story is a more of an example of crying out about general injustice. 
But our just God speaks to all injustice in the same way, and we're going to see that in his answer to Habakkuk. So on to our second point, God's answer. So we're going to read um, Habakkuk 1, verses 5 through 11, if you want to turn to verse 5. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, also known as Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. So in these verses, we see God responds. And so I just want to pause and not jump over that. Rejoice. Habakkuk cries out, and God responds to him. So we don't know how long that response took. You know, when we are crying out, we want God to answer right then. And we are not told here how long Habakkuk waited for this response. Um, but we do know that he did wait, and as God answered. Um, so God answers Habakkuk, but God also answers us so beautifully and so boldly. He is so clear. God comes to us in our cries of why. In verse 5, we see God giving four things to do. These directions are not just for Habakkuk. They are for all covenant people. So four things. We see look among the nations, see, wonder, and be astounded. So look, see, wonder, be astounded. We're going to look at those individually. First, God commands to look. The Lord is simply commanding his people to have open eyes. See what is really and truly happening in the world. Be aware. Do not put your head in the sand. As I wrote this lesson, I learned of a friend losing a child. And obviously, this was and is so painful to be aware of, how to support and step into that. But I was called to look, to be aware and note. And I didn't want to look at my friend. It hurts, and it's so painful to imagine. But as I looked, it called me to pray for her. Looking helped me see that I have nothing but the Lord, and I can pray and appeal to him and bring my friend before him. So next we see God commands to see. Um, it says, look among the nations and see. So this is not just a repetition of look. Rather, this is a specific Hebrew word that means to give a careful and sustained and favorable contemplation. So the Lord is telling his people not only to view the world rightly, but to think about it as well. Be thoughtful, self-examine, world-examine, ponder. Okay, thirdly, the Lord tells his people to wonder. In Hebrew, this word communicates to be dumbfounded or stunned, amazement. So have you ever been so awed and astonished by something that it made you silent? Um, I can remember, I had the opportunity to go to Rome in high school, and I remember standing before Michelangelo's Pieta. 
So it's this huge sculpture of Mary holding a crucified and dead Jesus. And I remember I learned about it in school. I had read the agony and the ecstasy. Um, I had thought so much about this sculpture, but standing before it, there was nothing to say. I was in awe. You know, you can't believe it's made of stone. It invokes so much feeling. It caused you to ponder at God. It filled me with wonder. I was struck. So be astonished. Okay, finally, or excuse me, that was wonder. Finally, God tells us to be astounded. Why should the people of God be so dazzled? Why should we be astounded? So God answers in verse 5b, saying, For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Habakkuk has been questioning whether or not God is working, and God is saying, yes, I am working. Um, And the work that is taking place is taking place, it says, in your days. So God is working now. Now is in the present time for Habakkuk, and now as in our present time. So Habakkuk and our accusations of God's idleness is wrong. The Lord, the God who keeps promises, is at work. So whether or not we have eyes to see and look and ears to hear, um, you know, to wonder, he is at work. The prophet Isaiah said, said it this way in chapter 29, 14. It says, Behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder. So we have to pause and think, do we believe this? Do we believe that God is working? maintaining and sustaining all of creation. In verse 5, God is saying, I am working so marvelously, so wondrously, that his people wouldn't even believe it if I told you. How little we know and understand about our God. Job 26, 14 says, Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? So sometimes we don't understand. I do not understand all the whys of my mother's death. But God says that he was and is and will work. And that's the resting place. That's the place that we have to sit in. The work of God will always be something that we wonder at because he is God and we are not. We can look at the world around us and say, how can this be? This is so painful and awful and broken and sad. And the Apostle Paul quotes Habakkuk 1.5 over in Acts 13.41. And um, in Acts there, when uh, Paul is pulling from Habakkuk, he is warning the Jews to not think that God has been idle in their days. So remember, these are you know the years after Jesus has been crucified. That's where Paul is preaching. So he's warning the Jews then, like, don't think that God's not doing anything. What has God been doing in their day, those people in Acts? Like, this is like, well, I mean, Jesus came and lived on the earth, and then he died on the cross. Like, he was doing a lot of stuff during that time. But these people were struggling with that. And we're like, I mean, if I had Jesus up in here and I saw the crucifixion, I would for sure believe. But we can see the very people that saw that or at least heard about it from someone they knew still struggled with the same thing. Um, You know, God was in fact working in that time, and he's working in our time. We can feel what those early Christians, even when it's like y'all had it easy. Um, They were sinners, and so are we. Um, And we have to take a broader perspective. Um, And when we start to take that broader 
perspective, we can kind of begin to see how foolish we are to think that God isn't working. Because I want you to think, you know, God works in great ways today. If you are a Christian, that is a great work. That is something that God has done in your life. He has brought you from the darkness into the light. That is astonishing. And I think sometimes we just kind of forget that or can be entitled to our salvation. And we need to pause and remember, like, God did a great work in me to bring me here. Um, I read a statistic that there are now nearly 685 million Christians in Africa. And with the rates of um, conversion, the way that they have been converting people, if that were to continue, we don't know if God will work in similar ways, but if that were, it means that it's expected that 760 million uh, Christians would be in Africa by 2025. Just to hear of that vast number of people is unbelievable to hear a statistic like that. God is sovereign over creation and not just the United States. Um, so in verse 6, God specifically explains how he's working. So as a result of the injustice in Judah that Habakkuk has been pleading about, he is saying that he is bringing the Chaldeans to deal with the unrighteous behavior of his people. So he is using his people's enemies to punish them. This would have been incredibly shocking to hear. So the Chaldeans, as we've said, also Babylonians, these people are the people who defeated the Ninevites that we've been learning about in Jonah and Nahum. So these people are the ones who will eventually take God's people into exile that we learned about in Daniel and Ezra in previous Bible studies. Um, they are a monstrous people, just as bad as the Ninevites. So Habakkuk has been questioning whether God was at work amongst his people. And God is pointing out, this is a really narrow view. God using the Babylonians shows God is working among all people, not just his people, not just the covenant people. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. God is sovereign. He is the Lord of all. He is on the throne of the universe. And the remaining verses, and we're going to end here, we're going to move really quickly through, not because they're not important, but because we chose to spend our time somewhere else. Um, but for Habakkuk to hear God saying that he's using the Babylonians, as I said, would have been really scary and disarming and confusing. Verse 7 explains that they were dreaded and fearsome people. They defined justice in their own eyes. It was crooked. And, you know, this is quite ironic, God using a wicked and unjust nation to punish the wicked and just in Judah. We see in verse 8, God describing the power of the Babylonian army. And in verse 9, that their aim is for violence. That is what they're pursuing. Um, in verse 10, it's explained that the Babylonians um, mock who they conquered. They trust in themselves. They have idols of power and status and money. That is what they're seeking to serve and fight for. And then in verse 11, we see God give a final statement on them. He says, they are guilty. So God is saying, he is bringing the guilty to punish the guilty. I see their guilt, and I am bringing justice. So this, of course, brings on a whole other onslaught of, of questions of, like, can God really use horrible acts of men to bring about his purposes? And get excited, because we're going to talk about that next week. So, because um, Habakkuk asked that same question um, just a few verses down in, in the end of chapter 1. So, these first several verses of Habakkuk invite us to witness Habakkuk grapple with his faith. 
and the Lord meet him in that grappling. So the Lord will meet us in our questions too. He does not cast us off. It can be very difficult to not have clear-cut answers, um, and God will not always give us the information we want or the understanding that we desire. But he invites us to look and see, watch and be astonished. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, Now all we can see of God is like a cloudy picture in a mirror. Later, we will see him face to face. So we aren't going to have the full picture in this life. It is cloudy. It is dim. And some days, you know, it's bright and shiny. This life, obviously, as we know, isn't all bad. Um, But we're not face to face with him. But one day, because of the work of Jesus on our behalf, we will be face to face with God. And there will be no more dimness and no more cloudiness and no more injustice. We will be embraced forever and we will no longer have to ask why. So God says, trust me and rest in that. So we'll stop there. I'm gonna pray for us before we head to small groups. Thank y'all for being here. And if you'll bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you that you are willing to be in relationship with us that you brought your son here so that, in fact, can be true. We thank you that you hear our cries, that you know our hearts, that you listen to our whys, and we ask that you would help our weak faith, our sinful hearts, to rest in you and trust you, to see you all over creation and know that you are on the throne of the universe. In your name we pray. Amen.